0: part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. You can be seated this morning and open your Bibles to Psalms 139 because those songs, Ricky, thank you, thank you, I really, really appreciate those three songs this morning because they resonate with Psalms 139. Resonate with this whole thought of who God is. How many of you are either in the midst, or have survived, or can remember your children's why stage? And, and I realize that that happens for the next what 50 years, probably. <laughs> but remember when it was really intense when they when those young minds, those young hearts, they they begin to to ask the whys. Why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? And so sometimes it's just as a point of information, they want to know why are the things like they are. Other times it is, it shows the rebellion, our fallen nature and the rebellion of man, because it's, why do I have to go to bed now? Why do I have to do this? But both of those, they may seem very dissimilar because one is informational the other one is seems to be more rebellious in nature. But I promise you, they are really informational at their base because even when they're asking, why do I have to eat spinach? Why, why do I have to go to bed now? You and Daddy get to stay up. Why do I have to go to bed? That Even that, that seems to be rebellious, and it can be very much said in a rebellious way. Even that is straining for information of why do we do what we do. Why is there a right and why is there a wrong? Why is this the kind of the thing that we do and and we don't do this? The whys are this inquiry for direction. This morning as we open up to Psalm 139, we kind of get the whys of God. Not God asking why, but, but our whys about God. Because as we travel through the Psalms in the next... Uh, so far, I think I've got eight weeks down. It may go into about 12, 14 weeks because there's just so many good psalms. And if you have a favorite psalm, uh, a couple people let me know last week. If you have a favorite psalm, please let me know. Um, and it's either going to be on our calendar already or we can maybe include it. And then I'm also asking folks, if you do have a favorite psalm and you want to share about a three or four minute testimony about why that is so special, maybe a time that it's just really ministered to you and why this is your go-to place, Please let me know, because we would love for you to share that. In two weeks, Sherry's going to share. Uh, you are or you're not? Okay, I thought you said no. I was going, okay, curveball. Man, I'm missing that. <laughs> I thought it was. And, and she's going to be sharing, you know, why, I mean, she loves all the songs, but why this one is so special. And so I want to invite you to, to do that, to be a part of, of just that worship of, of God and how we expand upon God's word, and for you to be a part of that. So let me know, and we'll put you on the schedule. Uh, Three or four minutes, though. Okay, three or four minutes. (laughs) A.W. Tozer is a straight theologian, a mastermind. You're talking about a mind about this big, and especially this grassland theology. (coughs) Excuse me. A.W. Tozer, in in the Knowledge of the Holy uh, book, the Knowledge of the Holy, he he said this. It's probably one of my favorite verses, or one of my favorite... um, uh, quotes of, of theologians. He said, What comes into your minds when we think of God are the most important things about us. What comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. Ponder that for a second. What comes in your mind when you think of God? When we go through the Psalms, we begin to start seeing these I don't know if we really call them the the names of God, but we see kind of the character of God, or a role that God plays, or this this personalization of God. When all of a sudden the psalmist says, "He is my refuge," he's my strong tower, he's my shield and my faith. In Psalm twenty three, he says, "He is my shepherd," and he makes me lie down in green pastures. In Psalm thirty two, he said, "He's my hiding place." Another one says, in Psalms 68, it says, he's the father to the fatherless. And we get all of these different descriptions of God in the Psalms as they're just kind of singing their songs and worship back to God. And they have all these descriptors. Well, I want you to know that as we go to Psalms 139 today, you won't find any of those. You won't find any of those descriptors. Because what the psalmist is trying to do there, what David is trying to do in that particular psalm, is give us the why. Sherry, can you show that, uh, I think it's Psalm 18 too? In one verse, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I will take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I could sit down right now and we would be able to worship just contemplating that for the rest of the day. I mean, look at all the names that he puts there in this Psalm of who God is to him. These, these identities that he has. Hey, you're a refuge. You're, you're, you're my deliverer. You're the horn of my salvation. You're not going to find that in Psalms 139. Why? Because it was written from a whole different perspective of really kind of giving us a basis. Why is God a refuge? Why is God the horn of our salvation? God, when I say that you're a shield to me, can I say that with real substance? Can I say that with such conviction and that's what one Psalms 139 is all about. It covers what we say is, are some of the attributes of God, these characteristics of God, not just the personality of God, but, but who God is. And this morning I'm going to share with you the why. Why is he a rock, a solid foundation, in a world that the winds are blowing 120 miles an hour? Why is he a fortress, in a world that we're battling all kinds of different things? Why is he a hiding place when at times fear and fright come into our lives and then we can run to him and hide? That's what Psalms, is 139, it's all about. David is writing, not to give you more descriptors of, of who God is. He does that in a lot of other Psalms, but in this particular Psalm, he's really given us the why. And, and so let's just be those children, either from an inquisitive nature why is God my fortress? Why is God my shield? Or maybe even this morning, shall we dare, in a rebellious nature. And when I mean that, I'm not inviting you to be rebellious. You are rebellious. We're born in this sin, okay, guys? We were born with a rebellious nature. And so we already have that. And there's times in our lives that we're going, okay, God, I, you know, I wanted you to be a strong tower, and, and I didn't feel like you were a strong tower. Why? Because I didn't get what I wanted it wasn't that you weren't a strong tower. You just weren't the strong tower that I wanted you to be because somehow that situation turned out kind of different from what I had proposed was best and wise for me. That's a rebellious nature. But the one thing I do believe that we have this morning, whether you know Christ as personal Savior, whether you are <coughs> haven't quite come to that place and you're still contemplating and you're still wrestling with you know, this whole concept of the gospel and a god one god who gave his only son whether you're in the midst of that whether you have been convinced of that whether you are kind of even a little bit rebellious to that one thing i can guarantee that when we sing those songs out and we begin to talk about who god is there is something in the very fiber of your beings that cries out in agreement with it well pastor no no i I think, I, mean, I don't know that I even like God. I don't know that I even know that there is a God. There is something in the fiber. of me. How do I know that? Because I know you? No, because the word says that you were created in his image. And he has put a capacity in you to know him on that level. It may, may not be mature. It may not be salvation. But I promise you, if you're alive, you're a human being, you've been created with such capacity, not because of your own doing, but because of the very grace of God. So what do we do with this? Three truths this morning I'm going to share with you from this psalm. We're going to have to go quickly. This is kind of a, a, a delta flight, about 35,000 feet over Psalm 139. We could spend probably a week in each verse, but we're going to kind of do a, a delta flight, and so we're going to we're going to see it from that aerial view today. But I hope that you see these three things. Psalms 139. We're going to cover the attributes of God's knowledge, God's presence and God's power. And I'll give you the fancy theological words that go with each one of those, but God's knowledge, his presence, and his power. Psalm 139, starting with verse 1. Thank you so much. You are a blessing, my brother. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Wow. How many researchers do we have in here? Let me explain that. Before you go on a trip, you've been on Travelocity, you've been on... Troop advisor, you've been this, that, and the other. Before you buy a product, you've done consumer reports, you've done that. Raise your hand, Jeff, because I've already heard about testimony. Uh, How many researchers, that before you make a decision, before you kind of plant yourself in this commit money and finances and and time, (coughs) you, you do research so that you can have knowledge. Because in that sense, knowledge, let's just say for what it is, okay, knowledge is power, isn't it? Do I want to go to this city or this city? Do I want to buy this product or that product? Do I want this brand name or that brand name? You know, Or does it matter? This one's $200 cheaper. Is it still worth it? And when you do the research and you compile information and you get this information, you feel at least, again, there's no guarantee, but at least you feel like, hey, done my homework? Now I can, with confidence, with confidence, I can move forward. Remember that. Whether you are a researcher by nature or whether you are not, remember that because it's really kind of key to understanding what this psalm is all about. He he talks about the knowledge of God and he says, look, not only do you know the words that I've said, you know the words before they even come to my mind. And he begins to, to really kind of play upon this depth of knowledge, but he's the first one to admit that there's no way that he can grasp it. David gives this description of the vastness of the knowledge of God. Simply put, he says, God knows everything. Let me be somewhat simplistic, and yet in this simplicity, it's kind of profound. Not me, this information. Listen to simplicity. There's not one fact that God does not know. Not one fact. There's not one thing that God does not know. There's not one truth that he does not know. There is not one point of information that God does not know. Let me get personal. There is not one fault that God does not know. There's not one emotion or feeling that God does not know. Let me get really personal. There's not one motive that God does not know. I have been married 33 years. I know that there are some that have been married 50 plus years. And I would imagine that even in those 50 plus years of marriage, that there are some times that you can hide information, you can hide fact, you can hide, hide this, and you can especially hide motive. You can be smiling on the outside and frowning on the inside. Are frowning, and frowning on the outside and smiling on the inside. You know, there's something about even this intimacy of marriage and you know each other and you've known each other for 50 plus years and yet there's that capacity among human beings that I could hide something from you. I could have a heart this morning that hates God and maybe if I just said the slippery words or I did this, that, and the other that I could even, you know, make it seem like I've really loved God. I hope that you know that I really do love God. But would you agree that in the intimacy of relationship, even the most intimate of relationships, that one thing that we could really hide from another person ultimately is motive? Not so much words. Well, I remember you said, you know, we don't hide words. But we could hide motive. The infinite vastness of God's knowledge. What David said, look, not only do you know the words that I say, you know, when I, before I even say them, and, and you even know the motivation of my words. God, this is how deep your knowledge of me. Do you even know the depth of this. To expand upon this even more, know that he's not just saying you know historical fact. God knows everything that has happened. He knows that everything that will happen today. <coughs> and he knows everything that's ever going to happen in all of history. All eternity. His knowledge is that vast. And and at some point in time, that that just blows our mind. There's a point in time when we're going, okay, I've got to get off this train because I do not understand how God could know all those things. And we accept it by simple faith or or we begin to, to ponder, that can't be. I challenge you this morning to accept it by simple faith because I promise you there's no way that you can really understand the vastness of this. as the song that we sing, indescribable. We don't have words that match this majesty of God. And we certainly don't have words that match the majesty and the depth of his knowledge. In a way, it points out the futility of man of trying to live apart from God. Genesis chapter 3. I told you when I came pastor here, we'll probably visit Genesis chapter 2 and 3 almost every other week. And I think for the most part, we have. Because when we see there in the fall of this perfect creation, we see the heart of the need for the gospel. We, we see the heart of the gospel that even though man rebelled against God, and there was a willing rebellion. He was given the choice there to, to, to be obedient to God, and yet Adam and Eve, they rebel against God's choice. And one of the things that we see that came as a result of that rebellion is a, a desire to distance themselves from God. And do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 what it says that God was kind of coming that way? They were, they were used to, and again, God is spirit, but he's coming that way. And, and they were used to God coming that way in the cool of the evening. And they hide. This is after they've sinned. they rebelled against God. They went with their choices rather than God's choice. They immediately knew their nakedness, that is their vulnerability. Don't sensationalize that. Sexually, because it really was not meant to be. All of a sudden, their vulnerability showed. So they clothe themselves, and they hide. And we see there an interesting question. Adam, where are you hiding? And why are you hiding? Does God not know the answer to that? Not only does he know the answer... But somehow in the majesty of God, and this is where my mind starts to explode theologically, he already knew it was going to happen. God's not sitting back going, don't eat from the tree, don't eat from the tree, don't eat from the tree. Oh, you ate from the tree. Somehow in the majesty of God, in this knowledge of everything, he has knowledge not only of his creation but the knowledge of their rebellion because it says that he has an answer for that rebellion in Jesus Christ even before the foundation of the world. God's got it all figured out, guys. He's got it all figured. Where, where are you hiding? Not only does God know where Adam is hiding, get this, grasp this, guys. He knows why Adam is hiding. Don't let this knowledge of God be something, okay, God knows these facts about me. No, he knows these facts about you, but what he knows is the intimacy of your heart and your motives. He doesn't just say, okay, where were I, Where was I? De- December 12th, 1972. And God spits out information. Well, you are exactly right here. Do you want to know down to the second? Or do you want to now? You know, he knows this information. But, folks, he knows the intimacy of that information. Why were you there? Not only where you were, but, but why were you there? Well, when he asks this question, <coughs> Adam, why are you hiding it? It's not so that, that God can be informed of the intentions of Adam, so that Adam can understand the intentions of his own motives in this rebellion and in this fall. See, when this thing in, guys, the knowledge of God that he knows not just facts about you, but he knows the intimacies of your heart, that he knows your motives, that he knows all these other things, when that really begins to sink in, it's going to cause you to do one of two things. Attempt to do one of two things. You're either going to run from God because you know what's in your mind and your heart, And out of embarrassment, out of guilt, out of this or that, and you're going to just want to run away because you realize that he's holy God. Or you're going to run so fast to him because you know that he knows everything about you, things that your wife doesn't know, your husband doesn't know, your mother and father doesn't know, your children don't know, and he knows all these, even these dark crevices in your life, and he loves you the same. You know the depths of our hearts and you love us the same. We just sang that. You know the depths of our heart and you love us the same. That's amazing, guys. In a culture, in a world that doesn't ponder, that we should ponder. Because from that we get an invitation to come back to a holy God. Here's what happens. When we understand that God knows everything about us, even our motives and even the thoughts and all these different things about us and that he loves us, until we add the love part, that's what brings comfort. But until we add the love part, that he really does know all these things and and loves us the same, the scary part of this, in our fright, we begin to manipulate we are in our fallen nature. Please understand this. And if you have children, you have already figured this out. In our fallen state, are we naturally born manipulators? Yes. yes. Hang out in the preschool <laughs> one Sunday and you will find out the depravity of man. Okay? I mean, it's that reality that by nature in this fall, that part of this nature Is one of manipulation. Well, God, and we start all kinds of different thought processes in our mind and our heart of, okay, we want God to be this God because for whatever reason in our fall, and our fright, we've got to explain God on our terms. When we allow God just to be who God is, we begin to find out we don't have to run from God. But even in our sin, that way he invites us in. So what is David's conclusion on the matter of the knowledge of God? He gives us in a couple of these first four verses, (coughs) he tells us, God, you know everything. And what is his conclusion? Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's it's high. I cannot attain it. He said, there... I try, I get a little bit of it, but I cannot grasp this. I cannot fully box this in. It's bigger than that. And so he moves on to another attribute, another characteristic of God. And he begins to, to tell us at this point uh, about how God is everywhere. The theological word there is omnipresent. The, the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. Any math people in here? Pascal? the great mathematician. I love how, you know, he's, if you're a math person, you'll like this. You'll tweet this if you're a math person. <laughs> Pascal said, God's centerness is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. That's good for a math person. If you're a math if you're not a math person, you're going, what does that even mean? <laughs> but in this mathematician's mind, Pascal. You know, he, he tried to say, okay, God, you're everywhere. Uh, your center, you're everywhere. If I move everywhere, that's the center of you. Your circumference, where you stop, you don't stop anywhere. You're everywhere. And David described that in verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to a le- heaven, you're there. If, if I make my bed in Sheol, that was kind of their vision of hell. <coughs> he said you are there that doesn't mean that god is in hell in, in one way he said that your presence you have total knowledge you have presence there in the sense of control and sovereignty over this if i take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me in these verses god talks about i mean david talks about the presence of god he, he brings us back to a place of comfort or maybe even frustration, depending on if you're kind of running to God or if you're trying to run away from God, that God is everywhere. Can you imagine, remember when we studied Jonah just a couple months ago? Can you imagine how Jonah felt? Both the elation that he could not outrun God when God sent that great fish to swallow him up, but also the frustration of Jonah when he couldn't run far enough to get away from God. And you and I have probably experienced both of those in our lives. At different times in our lives when we had such a need for God that we ran and we realized before we even kind of put that first foot into place that we were already where God was. But also that frustration that no matter if it was night and day and we ran and we ran and we ran, that we could not escape the very presence of God. It's elation at times. It's frustration at times. And here David says, you know, look, I I just want to, I realize this truth. Where can I go? Where can I flee? We see that in verse 7. So there's nowhere that you're not. That's where we begin to feel for Adam in the garden a little bit. God already knows where he is. He already knows exactly where he is. God is not fun to play hide and seek with. He wins every time. But let's not mess that other layer. He just doesn't know that information well, you're at this longitude and this latitude, and that you know he's got this perfect GPS on your life. No, he knows the motive of what where is your heart and where is your mind when you're at that exact location? What's driving you there, what's driving you away from that place? What's driving you toward family or driving you away from family? What's pulling you toward the cross? What's making you feel like you need to run from the cross? He said, man, your presence is everywhere. And that's either going to freak you out this morning or it's going to give you such amazing comfort to know that even in your rebellion and even those days that you try to outrun God, that he's always pursuing and that he knows exactly where you are. And I pray that that would give you encouragement today for people in your life that you see right now are in a running stage parents there's probably no sorrow as deep except for death itself to see those that we love running two reasons number one we knew the we know the futility of that run but we also see the sorrow of that run because we know sweetheart you can run for the rest of your life but he's never you're never going to escape him you're never going to outrun him because he, he's he's going to pursue you with a passion and that passion is Jesus Christ, and yet it is hard to watch the prodigal. Oh, it's hard to watch the prodigal. David tells us in these, in this chapter. <coughs> excuse me. This is why you can say he's our refuge. This is why he's a strong tower. This is why he's a shield. All these descriptors that we see in all these other psalms that we endear, that we love. He says, "This is why." I want you to focus on, this is why, that we can say this with confidence, that he is my shepherd and he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Because if not, we're left with maybe just an emotional thought. Hey, wouldn't that be great if we had a God who would shepherd us and as sheep, he would just make us lay down in this green pasture? Isn't that wishful thinking? Don't we wish that we had a God like that? Or maybe we could emotionally just want that. David says, you don't have to be a wisher. You don't have to do this out of emotionalism. This is fact. This is who God is. David could express God's uh, power, his presence in so many different ways. And I love what he does in verses 13 through 15 as he gives us one more. He, he talks about this knowledge of God, his omniscience. He, he, he talks about how God is everywhere, Is omnipotent, I mean his omnipresent and now he talks about his omnipotence that is his his all powerful look what he says verses 13 through 15 for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made amen wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my what knows it very well my what? My head, my heart, my soul. This is the hope that we have everybody as we come. There's going to be times that your head is going to tell you one thing. and There's going to be times that even your emotions are going to lie to you. But your soul, your spirit, that God created in his image, there's something in that very spirit and soul that longs. We sing those songs. And there's goosebumps on goosebumps, not just because of emotionalism, because we're worshiping and singing truth. And those, those days when our mind is lying to us, and our heart is lying to us because of hurt and the gravity, and as Roman 8 says, the futility of life on earth, this is where we come back to solid scripture and say, so I will not base my belief on the circumstances of the winds blowing left and right. I will base my beliefs and I will put my trust into the strong tower, into the refuge, into the hiding place that is my God. Amen. This is the why. He he doesn't give us these verses about how he knitted us together so that we go, you know, this would really be good for pro life one day. You know, if we really want to make a case for pro life, it says right there in the Bible that, you know, that we're a, a human being even before. Says, here's my power. And in one way, especially men, we like power. Okay, God, what can you blow up? You know, or that deep theological, here, here's your Sunday afternoon talk. If You want a Sunday afternoon quandary. Can God make a bit rock big enough that God can't move? It's really kind of a very stupid question. But we tend to ponder those kind of things. Okay, God, how powerful are you? Powerful enough to do this? Powerful enough to do that? We like big, we like explosions, we like all those kind of things. Where does God go when he wants to? Where does David go when he wants to show you his power? He says, Look, I'm not going to show you what I can blow up, but let me show you what I can knit together. Do you get that? Do you get the intimacy of that, guys? I can blow up mountains, I can blow up. So stars, we just saying, he knows them, by name, he created them, he just said star B, and it was there. He's that kind of power, and yet what he shows us here is, look, I can blow you away with power. If you want explosions, I can give you explosions, but let me show you where the real power is. The real power is what I do in intimacy with my relationship with you. I formed you. I knitted you together. What is more powerful? Knitting together in your mama's womb Or what can God blow up with dynamite? A couple really quick facts, then we'll close. Every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. Some of you more than other. (laughs) Ten billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. 10 billion nerve cells. When your brain receives information from your eyes of what you're seeing right now, 1 million receptor cells called rods and cones in each eye, and then that's just the beginning of the miracle. 10 billion calculations then feed to the brain so that you can say, hey, there's people, there's chairs, there's light. There's darkness. And we get lost in numbers like billions and trillions and this, that, and the other. And and God certainly could have shown us by billions and trillions and quadrillions and all those kind of numbers his might. And yet, where does he go? He goes, man, I, I formed you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. One of the struggles that we have in life, just a side note, because I want to p- complete the song. How can I say this in total respect and, and not hurt anybody? Have you, have, have you ever wondered and, and said to yourself, oh man, they died way too early? I certainly have. I would say that about my daddy. He would have been 80 years last month. I, I don't think he's long enough to to, to have life, and, and so we tend to question. But look what he says in verse sixteen, guys. I say this not to hurt us when we ask that question, because that's a natural question to ask as people just go, "I love this person. Why are they gone from my life?" Look what he says in verse sixteen. This is either going to freak you out or it's going to bring you such comfort in that day when you long to see that loved one. Look what he says. <laughs> Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That gives me peace with my daddy. That a sovereign God, a loving God, an intimate God, knew everything about my daddy from the inside out even the number of the days. Do I still long for him? You better believe it. And yet, there is a refuge. There's a hiding place. There's a strong tower that I can run to on those days that I just want to hear my daddy's voice. Do you get that? And if I offended somebody, I I do apologize. It was not for, for offense. I want us to have truth that we live this really hard life on. Notice that once in all this psalm, (coughs) has he used the words shepherd, rock, fortress, hiding place, refuge, shield? What he said, though, is the solid truth about who God is, the attributes of God. And in verse 17, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Precious is not a word that we use a whole bunch, especially as men. We don't go around, hey, that's really a precious shirt you have on, Ricky. That song this morning, that was precious, man. Bless my heart, it was precious. We don't use that word. The Hebrew word for that actually means weighty, heavy. And so what he's saying there in this word, Hebrew word, yakar, what he's saying there is this is weighty, and it's a weight that is so heavy that it moves me to something. What is he saying that it's moving him to? He said it moves him to action. And so that we can finish the sermon, here's the action that it calls him into. Go down to the last two verses, 23-24, and this is the action that it calls him to. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me, and, and lead me in the way everlasting. In one way, it seems contradictory to everything that he just said. Search me, God. Now, he's already said that God already knows everything, even your motives. You know, not just facts about you, not just information, but even your int- the intimacies of your motives. And, and so what is he doing here? He's shown that this knowledge, this power, this ability to be all places, this is all a motivation. God sent Christ. See, there's something about God that he's not just capable, but he's motivated. You having financial problems? Bill Gates is capable. The question is, is he motivated? Is he going to write you a check? Is Is he personally involved to the point where he's motivated not just capable. Would you agree that Bill Gates is capable of, of helping this entire congregation out financially? But is he motivated? And, and what David does here is he says, look, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this point. He's, he's telling us, look, I'm showing you a God that is capable, of, but I want you to see in the midst of all this that not only is this is a God who's capable, but this is a God who's motivated and so you don't have to run from this God. You can run to this God. Favorite verse in the whole Bible. Romans 5.8. Sums up Psalms 139. But God shows his love for us. Demonstrates his love for us. And that why we were still sinners. He knows everything in those dark crevices. He knows the junk. And yet he, Christ died for sent his very best, his perfect son, the treasure, priceless gift of Christ. And he says, here's my son. His knowledge, his power, and his presence overwhelming, indescribable, but the motivation, very describable, because he loves you. Because he loves you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you. Father, I thank you for the Psalms. Oh, they are food for our spirit and soul. And Father, today as we, we, as we look at Psalms 139, Father, it is overwhelming. It is impossible to grasp your knowledge. It is impossible to really kind of box in how you can be everywhere. It is impossible to understand the fullness of your power. And so, Father, we realize that when David wrote these things, as ordained as they were, Father, they're just, it's a foretaste of the reality of who you really are. It's a a little sampling. But, Father, one thing we do see is that you've expressed your motivation in all of this that drove David, a man after your own heart, and yet a man who's had sin in his life. In rebellion, a man who had tried to run away from you, it brought him to his knees, and he says, "Father, search me and try me, show me my ways, so that you can show me the way everlasting." And Father, that would be our prayer today, Father. We do not have this all figured out, but Father, we see your heart in this. <coughs> And Father, I pray that this day that we would say, God, will you search me? Will you try me? Will you show me motives that even I'm not aware of so that you can show me the way everlasting? Thank you that you're not a God that just knows the information about us, but you know the intimacies of our heart. And you still sent Christ. We love you. We adore you. Father, I pray that we live for you, never being able to pay you back, but to live in thankfulness of this grace and this mercy that you've bestowed upon us. We love you and thank you. We pray this in the power of Christ's name.